My wife and I hiked and camped quite a bit before we had our first kid. Now one year old. Some backpacking, but mostly car camping. But mostly car camping that requires a good drive down a forest service road to escape people and noise. In 2016, we decided, after three nights in a national forest and adjacent national park, we'd stay at AFS campsite, change from dispersed camping, a ways from any town, but still a campsite with a bathroom. We had a wonderful time during the day. Swam in a lake, yada yada, or was some place. The campsite was mostly busy, but with small families. One noteworthy group. Loudish people, though well out of sight on the other side of a stand of trees. They brought many cars of all types, at least those that could drive down the road, non-paved for a good two miles. Not bad, though. But whatever. Let people have fun. I didn't care about the noise. Come night. We go to bed early, no fire as we wake up early, to hike before the sun beats down. The group is still loud. My wife does the earplugs. I'm able to ignore it and sleep. No problem. Come 1 a.m. I wake up perhaps due to the group noise, I don't know. I can hear fewer of them, maybe four. Five people that were audible, enough to make out every fourth or fifth word. Loud drunkenness, but it was initially friendly, pursing, laughing. Next thing I hear a guy call a lady, a cunt, and shit goes downhill from there. Now they are yelling expletives that I can mostly make out because of the yelling, woman and men both telling each other to F off. Luckily, my wife's still out sleeping. Out of this mess of people yelling, a woman just starts screaming, shrieking. Something changed and happened to her. This wasn't just someone joining the verbal fight. This was the first time my heart rate went up. WTF is happening? Even while others in the group are still yelling, I can tell the shrieking girl is moving away from the group, but is still yelling loud like distorting her voice yelling. Her yells turn into words help as she moves, and F, I can begin tell she is getting closer to the tent site area where I am. Pause real quick. Let me give the layout of my campsite, which is key. Around one bend of a large lake, there are several camp areas, which means multiple 612 campsite pods, each accessible by a walking trail. There is an area to park with each campsite near each trail. The dirt road swings around the lake to each parking area. This yelling group was in the pod next to mine, not the same campsite. Screaming girl is getting closer, but it's hard to yell. Then her screams for help become clear, where I'm able to make out. Help someone is trying to stab me. I can hear her move from the road to the parking area where my car is parked, coming closer to the trailhead that connects to my campsite. In my head, F, don't come to the trail. Don't come to the trail. My tent is the first one once you enter the trail. My wife is sleeping through the yelling still. I might sound like an asshole for not jumping up and playing the hero here. But of that, I'm not touching drunk people drama. Sure enough, she starts down the trail. The trail splits and I'm on the right. I'm thinking, go left, go left. My wife is starting to wake up, pulls out the earplug. I turn to her. It's okay. 
it's okay. Nope. Yelling girl turns right, walks right up to our tent. Stands next to it, help me. Can you please help me? She is sobbing. I get up first and open the tent. In the twilight and the light from the girl's phone, I can see she is a teenager. Drunk as hell, not bleeding or stabbed luckily. I'm tired and don't respond well, sputtering a bit, saying things like I don't know. We can't. My wife pops up and handles the situation like a boss, calming her down, asking her name, sitting her down on the picnic table, de-escalating. Take a second. Imagine waking up to someone screaming help at 1 a.m. next to your tent. Not sure how my wife handled that so well. The short version of girl's story. She is 16. Her cousin got jealous about hugging her boyfriend, threatened and maybe tried to stab the 16-year-old. All were drinking. Meanwhile, we can hear people over in the campsite continuing to rage, yelling at each other. It is now mostly just two guys yelling at each other. My wife instructs the girl to drink water and stay away from her cousin. They were going over options. I'm trying to use either of our phones, wife's and mine, to call police. No signal. T-Mobile. Luckily, other campers have woken up and come to our area. They have a signal and call the police. Thank God. The girl has calmed down at this point and wants to leave. We are all weary as we can still hear the dudes screaming at each other. The girl abruptly leaves. Wife and I, plus two other campers, are standing in the parking area, near the trail, the huge thing about it all. The dude's yelling in the background escalates to a fist fight. You can hear skin slaps like someone got popped, falling into bushes, shouting. The four of us sitting there, waiting for the police. This goes on for a while. Thirty minutes and no police. Understandable given the location. Suddenly the 16-year-old girl comes back. She has half a fifth of vodka in her hand. Now she's cursing. I'm gonna fur up. I have guns. My mom has a gun at the house. My wife and the two campers whip out their negotiation skills and talk her down. Wife gets 16-year-old to give up the bottle and sit on the ground. Do you think messing her up is a good decision right now? I'm looking at my wife like, is that gonna work? Girl is like, no. Lo, I'm such a loser with my capabilities right now. I play no useful role in all of this. The teenager then reveals that her mom is on the tribal council. She said everyone in the group is going to be in trouble over this. I didn't realize, but apparently that is important shit to people in that area. Guys in background still yelling, a second fist fight ensues. Police finally get there. Story speeds up. In short, police get the story told to them. I see eyebrows go up when the girl mentions who her mom is. They seemingly reluctant pack teenager into the car and as soon as they move her into the car, she screams violently. Doors close and you can still hear that screaming. Fighting dudes or group must have seen the lights as that commotion stops. Police talk to them. Cops leave with the girl. Then it's quiet. Close to 3 a.m. Shake and the wife and I go back to our tent and discuss next steps. Should we stay, decided we were leave first thing in the morning. But while lying there, as if to sleep... Only five minutes later, the group again begins to shout at each other. Expletives more along the lines of we're a mess in view. Nope, we're out. 
So in the dark we quietly pack the car. For some reason, wife and I were concerned the group will hear us. The tent goes in unfolded. Fast. Once everything is in, when we start the car, suddenly one of the dudes from the fighting group sprints over to our parking lot, like he's about to stop us. First time seeing him. Shirtless skinny guy in shorts. I accelerate quickly toward him. He is in the middle of the lot, then turn toward the road and get out of there. Nearly three hours of driving back to the city. My boyfriend and I were on an epic camping trip to the Yukon one summer a couple years back. We decided to check out this cute town called Atlan and stay the night at a campsite we hadn't originally planned to stay at, was recommended by our campsite neighbor earlier in the trip. It was a long day of driving, and we had about an hour of light to set up camp and make dinner, and it was very misty and looked like rain. The site was the last one down this long road that had many sites along the way, but we were the only ones for a few kilometers. We had set up the tent by this time and were getting dinner ready, when somewhere close in the forest we heard a loud crashing noise. Well, being in northern, northern British Columbia, my boyfriend freaks the F out thinking it's a bear running through the forest to eat us. He screams quick. It's a bear! Get in the car. We both jumped in the car and locked the doors behind us. After a few minutes of deep breathing, we realized it was probably just a tree falling or something. We got out of the car, looked around. Nothing was around. But the eerie, on-edge feeling didn't go away so we decided to skip the campfire that night and settle into our tent, laying our anxious heads down. We were thinking we were thinking we wouldn't sleep at all that night. Thankfully, there was a babbling creek right next to us, which lulled us to sleep. Surprisingly, the best sleep of the trip. This incident took place in 1993, I was in a fishing boat with my father and grandfather in the Potomac River in the Sidling Hill Wildlife Management Area, Washington County, Maryland. We had been on my father's boat fishing for a few hours already. My father's girlfriend was also on the boat, which wasn't all that large, maybe the size of a regular sedan vehicle. Anyway, my father and his girlfriend were looking out towards the front of the boat, and I and my granddad were fishing off the back half of the boat. I and my grandfather were simply talking about whatever and fishing when all of a sudden we looked about maybe 20 yards away from where we were, and I see it. I'm not too sure what it was, but I'll try to describe what I saw. I saw a creature about the size of a large alligator, maybe six, seven feet in length. But the creature was definitely not an alligator. It had a grayish-brown color and smooth skin, like that of a dolphin. I remember seeing flippers on it. But I don't remember how many, although I do know it was more than two. I never actually saw its head or tail, just its midsection. I didn't know what it was doing, but I remember seeing the creature sort of rolling around as an alligator or crocodile would do while trying to bite a chunk of flesh off an animal. I remember comparing what I saw to a log rolling in the water. The animal rolled for a few seconds and then disappeared before either one of us could call my dad to check it out. I remember after seeing it, both me and my grandfather looked at each other in disbelief. My father always did think we were just playing. I know what I saw, and it freaked me out. 
more so because I had been swimming in that same area a few days before the incident. To this day, I don't know what it was. This event happened to me and a friend from out of town that I had invited to go hunting one afternoon. This location was in South Louisiana in an area with thick woods and a lot of palmetto up to six foot in height in some places. The water we had to walk in to get to my deer stands were up to our waist at times, so it was slow moving in the mile we had to walk to our deer stand. My friend wasn't used to this tough terrain, but he kept up. When I got to the first stand, which was 15 feet off the ground with a ladder to climb up, I told him I would be by to pick him up about a half. I told him I would be by to pick him up about a half hour after dark since I was a half mile past him. We had a full moon that was reflecting off the water, allowing us to hunt a few minutes longer. When it became too dark to see, I climbed down from my deer stand with my rifle on my shoulder and started walking slowly towards my friend to pick him up. When I was almost to his stand, I shined my light up, and he wasn't in the stand. So, I shined my light on the ground at the bottom of the stand, and there he was leaning back against the tree the stand was on. What was odd was he wouldn't look my way even after me calling his name. So, I walked up to him within a couple of feet and asked if he was ready to go. That's when he finally turned his head and looked towards me. What I saw in his face scared me so bad that I took my rifle off my shoulder, putting it between me and him. His eyes were rolled back in his head, and his mouth was wide open, just standing there looking at me, not saying a word. He was not answering me when I was asking what's wrong. So, there I was, a mile or so back in the woods with solid palmettos, and up to my waist in water with my good friend looking at me as if he was possessed or something. Yes, at this point, I was scared. So, I finally slapped his face, and he snapped back to himself. I asked if he was okay. His only words were, let's get out of here now. With me not knowing what the F was going on, I made him walk in front of me the whole way back to the truck, and we got in and left without saying a word. I asked him what happened in the woods. Why did he look shocked or possessed? That's when he started crying and started telling me how he was sitting there in the stand when he heard something coming through the water, moving palmetos as it was walking. When it got close enough to see what it was, he said it was a man that looked like he had been skinned alive. He had no skin at all on him, and he said he was so scared that after this thing had passed him, he climbed down and hid under the stand against the tree so it wouldn't see him if it came back. He was in shock when I got to him. That's why he had looked like he did. He was so shook up and crying that I made him pull over for me to drive. Well, a week went by, and I was talking to my Lyle cousin who had gone on a tour at a near-Indian memorial. They were explaining how this Indian tribe would skin men of the tribe alive and turn them loose in the woods when they had committed a serious crime in the tribe. My friend, who had witnessed this skinned man a week earlier, wasn't from around this area, had no way of knowing this. So what did he see that put him in shock? Was it a ghost of one of these Indians who was skinned alive years ago? I don't know. I just know the shape my friend was in when I got to him that night in the woods. Something I'll never forget. I'm sorry for the long read and excuse my typing. I'm on my cell phone. The White Mountain National Forest stretches out before me. A picturesque landscape of towering peaks and lush green valleys. 
As a park ranger named Roman, it's my duty to safeguard this natural haven and ensure the safety of its visitors. Nestled within this vast wilderness lies a serene lake, its tranquil surface reflecting the beauty of the surrounding mountains. Recently, disturbing reports of mysterious drownings have reached my ears, casting a shadow over the serenity of the park. Determined to uncover the truth, I embark on a mission to investigate these incidents and put an end to the growing fear that permeates the air. Equipped with a sense of duty and a suspicion that something more sinister lies beneath the calm waters, I venture towards the lake. Thoughts of crocodiles or similar creatures race through my mind as I reach its edge, preparing myself for the unknown. To my surprise, as I peer into the depths, my eyes are met not with a familiar reptilian shape, but with a cryptid beyond imagination. Before me stands a creature resembling a camouflage mud soldier on steroids, its massive frame covered in muck and its red glowing eyes fixated upon me. Fear and determination intertwine within me as I ready my rifle, hoping to defend myself and the unsuspecting visitors who wander into this watery domain. Shot echoes through the air as the bullet pierces the creature's hide, but to my dismay it merely growls in response. Undeterred, I continue my assault, firing round after round, desperately trying to halt the monstrous predator's advance. With a retreat as swift as its initial emergence, the cryptid sinks back into the murky depths of the lake, leaving me bewildered yet relieved. Summoning the local authorities, I recount the harrowing encounter and the futility of my attempts to vanquish the creature. Together, we devise a plan to rid the lake of this malevolent presence. Armed with a grenade, we approach the water's edge, aiming to disrupt the creature's habitat and safeguard those who venture near. With a resounding explosion, the grenade shatters the peaceful surface, scattering mud and debris into the air. The authorities declare the mission a success, assuring me that the cryptid has been vanquished. Relieved yet apprehensive, I return to my duties, patrolling the lake with a watchful eye. Although the mud cryptid has not re-emerged from its watery lair, an eerie sensation lingers within me whenever I set foot near the lake. It's as if invisible eyes follow my every move, a reminder that some mysteries are never fully resolved. I continue my ranger duties, ever vigilant, knowing that the tranquility of the White Mountain National Forest can be deceiving and that a lurking presence may forever shadow the depths of that enigmatic lake. Me and my two other friends, all 19, decided to do some kayak backcountry camping along a lake, but we weren't sure exactly where the spots were from the lake since they are only marked from the trail in the woods. So we decided to hike in first and find it so we knew where it was. We hiked the two miles in during a light drizzle and found camp, left our packs and a cooler and hiked back to our kayaks. Loaded up the kayaks with firewood and two of us took the kayaks. One was tied to my buddy's kayak and set off for camp while my other buddy hiked back. A storm was rolling in and the water was super choppy and it was getting dark, but we had to take it really slow so we didn't flip. We got to camp safely though and set up during a short break in the rain. We were all hammock camping and found a cluster of trees so we could all be closer together and hang out while it rained throughout our trip. 
That first night it started off as a calm drizzle, but around 3 a.m., we all woke up to the loudest thunder and brightest lightning of our lives. Scared to death, we just talked about how we were going to die. Lightning, thunder, and 30 miles per hour wind gusts. I was praying a tree didn't fall on us. We kept hearing limbs fall. Eventually, I just accepted that if I die, I die. And from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., I got some of the best sleep of my life. Woke up the next morning to all of my gear that was under my tarp soaked because it fell off the hook and a wash was under our setup. To this day, it's one of my favorite camping trips. Fair warning, this story involves a battle with food poisoning. Maybe don't read this one over your lunch. A few years ago, I loaded a bunch of camping gear onto my bicycle and spent the better part of the next seven months riding 5,300 miles, 8,500 kilometers, around much of the U.S. And I did this trip solo. One day in southern Washington state, I stopped for lunch at a fast food place on my way through a small town. As I continued biking in the afternoon, something definitely felt a bit off in my stomach. But it didn't slow me down too much. At night, I most often preferred to wild camp, simply finding somewhere to disappear into the woods at night, somewhere people were unlikely to find me and even less likely to care that I was there. I usually start looking for a campsite an hour before dusk, and on this particular evening, I had no trouble finding my spot. I start going through my usual evening routine. Set up the tent, make my bed, change my clothes, write my final journal entry of day the day, and then lights out not long after the last natural light. But pedaling 80 pounds, 36 kilograms, of bike and camping gear all day, every day, every day is hungry work. So usually that routine is accompanied by copious amounts of snacking. On this particular night, however, I had little appetite. Laying down in bed did not do my stomach well. My mild aches quickly turned to more severe cramps, followed by waves of nausea. Feeling like I was about to throw up, I'd sit up in bed, hand on the zipper of my tent door, ready to lean out to vomit. But after sitting up for a few minutes, I'd feel better, and so I'd lay back down. After a few minutes, though, the uneasiness would return. Eventually, around 11.30, I finally threw up, and thankfully, I managed to get the door open in time. I used some water from one of my bottles to rinse out my mouth, drank some more water to help replenish the fluids I'd lost, and then laid back down. Feeling much better, I managed to get a couple hours of sleep. I woke again around 1.30 and the whole song and dance began again. Sit up, ready to open the door. Feel better after a few minutes. Lay back down. Repeat a few times. Vomit around 2.30. Rinse my mouth, drink water, back to sleep. I woke for a third and final time around 4.30. Thankfully, I never threw up again, but realizing I was unlikely to get back to sleep before dawn, I decided there were more productive uses of my time than to even try. I was in no condition to get back on the bike. But I dreaded even more the alternative. I couldn't stay where I was out of fear of my condition continuing to deteriorate. And besides, I'd used up all my water throughout the night, so I had no choice but to get back on the bike. 
There was a town about 30 miles, 50 kilometers, ahead. A fairly easy half day for me, under better conditions. I would put myself up in a cheap motel in that town for the night and reassess my condition after a proper night's rest. Shortly after dawn, I got to it. I broke down the tent, loaded everything onto the bike, and hiked it back to the road. Get on, start pedaling. And something feels weird right away. It's a flat tire. Just my luck, right? But I had the tools, spare parts, and knowledge to make the repair. So I got to work. In my less-than-ideal mental state, it took me far longer to repair than it had any right to. And by the time the wheel was back together and holding air, it had started raining. Nothing I could do other than put on my rain jacket, turn on my lights, and just push through it. The words, absolute misery, don't feel big enough for it, but I don't know how else to summarize that day's ride. I was cold and wet. I was hungry, but didn't want to put too much food into my still upset stomach. I was dehydrated. Remember, I'd used all my water the night before, and I was tired in every sense of the word, sleep-deprived, mentally exhausted, physically aching and sore. Every rotation of the pedals felt like a feat of Herculean strength. And yet, somehow, I continued to find that strength. I eventually made it to the town. First, I stopped at a grocery store for some food that would be easy on my stomach. Then I went to the motel. I took a long, hot shower, called my mom, then slept for 13 hours straight. I woke the next morning feeling great. A light breakfast went down easily, and I decided to get back on the bike. The goal was to make it to Portland, Oregon, where I planned to stay in a hostel for a few nights and explore the city on foot. It would be 60 miles, 100 kilometers. A fairly long day for me, even in the best of health. That day went by quite smoothly, but to make a long story short, due in part to some poor judgment on my end, the stomach cramps caught up to me the next day when I was out at a museum. The day after that, I just took a rest day at the hostel, which ended up being a good call, as the food poisoning really came back with a vengeance. Not throwing up this time, but now in the form of diarrhea. I know, but you asked. Thankfully, that got it all out of my system. The next morning I felt great, and after a full day on my feet, I returned to the hostel late that evening, still feeling fantastic. In hindsight, I'm just thankful the shits waited until I was back in civilization. Throughout that chapter of my life, I had a few incidents that could be described as scary, but usually just in a creepy way. But when it comes to actual, rational fear for my safety... The food poisoning incident has everything else beat by quite a margin. I was at Mount Robeson National Park, deep in the backcountry. We had set up our camp and we just were lacking around the fire. A girl, let's call her Sue, stumbled into camp, quite obviously distressed. Sue was sobbing and could barely speak. We went to her and tried to find out what had happened. Sue was in rough shape and was having difficulty communicating with us. We managed to get out of Sue that her friend was lost. We sent one person to run to the closest warden's cabin to get help, about five kilometers away. They responded, and within a few hours the RCMP, 
Search and rescue and park staff were on site. A helicopter came in to drop off people and pick up Sue to take her to the hospital for treatment. So here is what happened. So here is what happened. Sue and her friend were hiking what is called the North Boundary Trail, a very remote part of the park that has some tricky river crossings. Sue's friend slipped on one of these crossings and fell into the fast-moving current and was swept away. Sue searched for her downstream for a full day before deciding to hike out on her own. Sue hiked out another two full days and said she didn't sleep much, laid down once in a while, but was too scared to sleep so just kept walking. We were the first people she saw three days after losing her friend. I never heard whether they recovered Sue's friend's body. This is probably not a very exciting story to read, but it was spooky for me at the time. I got turned around while looking for a campground. The place that I had thought was the campground entrance had shut down more than a year earlier because of pandemic. So I was out on some backwoods mountain forest road with barely any cell service, no clue where I was, and hadn't passed another human being in miles. I just kept driving down the same road through the woods until I eventually found a gravel parking lot for a hiking trail where I could pull over and try to look at a map. That's all just to set up that I was in a very remote spot, very far from the main road, and there were no people around anywhere. I hadn't seen a person or another car in at least half an hour. I stopped right in the middle of the parking lot, since no one was around, and started trying to pull up a map on my phone. The windows to my car were down. Right away, I heard footsteps crunching on the gravel. Walking over to my car, and my immediate thought was that there must have been a park ranger watching the parking lot, and they were coming over to ask me if I needed help. When the footsteps were close to my car, I looked up from my phone to ask for directions, and nobody was there. Nobody was anywhere around me. I didn't hear any more footsteps either, like from a deer running away. I mentioned I was in the middle of an empty gravel lot. So if an animal had walked up to my car, I'm pretty sure I would have seen or heard it run off. There was just nobody there. I was really freaked out and immediately rolled my windows up and drove all the way back the way I came until I found the main road and made it all the way to an actual human town before I was brave enough to pull over and mess with the map again. I don't believe in ghosts, but I have no idea what to make of what happened. Maybe a squirrel was under my car, so I heard it come up, but then couldn't see it. It was so freaky in the moment, though. 